0: Welcome to the Grattan podcast channel. You're with Megan from the Grattan Institute. And today we're discussing the rise of minor party voting and the same-sex marriage vote. Last week saw Australians overwhelmingly vote yes for same-sex marriage in the much-discussed national survey on changing the Australian marriage laws. With more than 61% of voters who participated voting in favour of a change to the Marriage Act to allow same-sex couples to marry, this is an opportunity to examine the implications for how voters are interacting with policy and politicians. So just what were the patterns of voting in last week's plebiscite? What trends did we see and what are the political implications? Joining me to discuss these questions is Grattan Program Director Danielle Wood and Associate Carmella Chivers. Welcome, Danny. Welcome, Carmella. Thanks, Megan. Hello. Carmella, let's start by dissecting the results a little bit. Uh, Where did we see the highest instances of yes voters?
1: So the highest uh, yes vote came from inner city electorates, especially in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, In particular, uh, the electorate of Sydney, Melbourne, Melbourne Ports, Wentworth and Greylander, they were all in the top five. Um, And every electorate in the top ten was an electorate in a city. And what about the lowest scores for the yes vote? Whereabouts were they? So the lowest votes came from Western Sydney, um, particularly electorates in the southwest of Sydney, um, and also in electorates in regional Queensland. Uh, there were 17 electorates that voted no on the survey uh, and 12 of those were in New South Wales. Wow. Uh, three were in Queensland and two were Victorian electorates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what was really interesting
2: about those was that some of those Western Sydney votes were very kind of overwhelmingly no as well. So the yes vote was running at about, probably about 25%. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah, in back, Blacksland it was 26 percent voted yes wow. and 74 percent mm-hmm. voted no. So so Danny, what
0: were the characteristics of those electorates that did have a strong yes vote?
1: Well there's a
2: whole lot of kind of different ways you can cut the data by electorate. Um, so as Carmela has already said the inner city electorates tended to have a higher yes vote. Interestingly though, as you kind of get further out from the C B D, so you look sort of forty kilometers and beyond, there wasn't that much difference. Um, in terms of the yes vote by distance from the CBD, so mm-hmm. in other words kind of outer suburbs don't look that different to regional areas in terms of their tendency to vote yes. Um, other things that were correlated at that electorate level, um, electorates with a higher proportion of people with higher education, electorates with a higher percentage of people working in services, electorates with higher incomes um, were all more likely to vote yes on average. Um, On the other hand, um, electorates with a higher proportion of people that were foreign-born, which applies particularly to those kind of outer Western Sydney electorates, um, were less likely to vote yes. Mm. And the strongest correlation was actually with religion. So the higher proportion of people in the electorate that identify as religious, the lower the yes vote was Mm. likely to be. Um, But, you know, when we're thinking about all of those things, that's all characteristics at an electorate level. Um, so we re- we need to be really careful about what's called the ecological fallacy. So we can't assume that the demographic relationships at the electorate level um, would give you the same answer as if you were doing a direct comparison between those particular demographic votes groups and how they voted. Um, so for example, if we look at age, all the survey data suggests that um, younger people were more likely to vote in favour of same-sex marriage you don't see that relationship playing out at the electorate level because all mm. you're picking up is average age differentials. Mm. Um, so you you have to be kind of careful with looking at that data and what you can actually infer from mm. that. Unfortunately mm. <laughs> for us, the um, ABS only releases the data at the electorate level, yeah. not broken down kind of directly by those demographic groups. Yeah, that would have been a very interesting... Um, yeah, sort of exactly, and they analysis. can do it. So yeah. they did it for the participation Data. I thought that, yeah. Um, so because so each um, voter mm. had a had a particular code, mm. and so from that they showed us the breakdown of the participation data by age and gender, mm-hmm. um, which was actually quite interesting in itself. I mean, we saw that younger people had lower participation rate. Um, so. I think amongst people in their 20s, it was sitting, you know, low 70s compared mm-hmm. to about 80% for the rest of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, but really interesting was 18 to 19-year-olds had quite a high participation rate, yeah. like close to 80%. Yeah, And for them, that's really their first time sort of participating in Australian democracy.
0: So mm-hmm. I think that's a really positive sign mm. from that data. Mm. And, and how does the vote generally... Um, fit in with the trends we're seeing and have been seeing in social attitudes recently?
1: So after the last decade or so, Australians have become more socially progressive and on these sorts of questions, people's views have become progressively more favourable. So the HILDA data uh, on same-sex marriage shows that since 2005, Uh, more and more people have agreed that uh, people in same-sex relationships should be able to get married. And they've also become more sure of um, that belief. People are becoming more strongly in favour of these sorts of questions. Um, And you see it in attitudes to uh, gender equality um, and Indigenous rights and attitudes to immigrant groups as well. So looking at the
0: importance of social trends uh what does all this mean what are the political implications of last week's result i think there's a number um i mean to pick up
2: on what carmella was just saying i think that it's pretty clear that what's driving people to vote for parties other than the major parties isn't the fact that those parties aren't socially conservative enough so we've had you know um politicians on the the right or particularly socially conservative politicians coming out and saying that um, you know if we want to bring voters back into the fold we need to embrace more socially conservative positions Um, that is you know really moving in the opposite direction to the rest of the electorate as as Carmela has highlighted. So I think that's one implication. Um, The second and, and the more important one I think is what is driving people to vote for minor parties seems to be trust and declining trust in politicians and declining trust in political parties. Um, That's been playing out over the past decade or two in Australia but also right around the developed world. There's a whole lot of reasons why trust is declining but one is certainly the perception that politicians won't do what they say they're going to do. They sort of make promises and don't follow through Um, and you know this is a very clear example where there's been a commitment that if the um, ballot came out in favour of the yes vote that the legislation would be passed before Christmas. Malcolm Turnbull was I think pretty unequivocal about that point. Um, so to me the real political implication is if the government doesn't manage to deliver that what will that mean for people's faith in the system? What will it mean for their trust in politicians given that you know we've had this ballot a lot of people didn't want it Nonetheless, they've participated at a huge rate, mm. at 80% participation rate. People have really mm. embraced it. Mm. Um, and now I think they expect governments to follow through. Mm. If they don't, um, I expect the backlash will be
0: large and some mm. Interesting. Um, and I understand that you are actually currently working on a report that does take a deeper look at political attitudes in Australia and the rise of minor party voting, um, which also builds on the work that you did for your working paper the regional patterns working paper that came out, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah. we're
2: basically looking at um, the rise of the minor party vote in Australia over the past two decades. Yeah. Um, obviously, we look at the kind of international context in which that occurs, and um, things like the vote for Trump and the the Brexit vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're really trying to unpick the reasons behind that. Um, so a lot of people have sort of come out and said it's about economics and inequality and low wage growth. Other people say it's a it's a cultural. Backlash, society's changing in a way that people don't feel comfortable about. Um, and, and a third sort of thesis is it's about declining trust. Um, so we go through each of those and have a look more closely at the data um, as well as um, what the political parties themselves are saying and doing on each of these issues.
0: Well, I look forward to having another chat with you when that uh, when that report's released. Thank you so much for your time today, Carmela and Danny. Thank you. Thank um, you. If you'd like to review the Regional Patterns Working Paper or any of our other work in this area, head to our website, grattan.edu.au. As always, you can stay up to date with all of Grattan's news reports and events by subscribing to our Twitter at Grattan Inst or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, then help your friends to find it by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for listening.